Thank you so much for having me for this talk. I'm going to talk about the conflict in Northeast India, and particularly in reference of the freelance journalists and stringers, who are in a sense uh, the heart and soul of reporting that takes place from this conflict region. I'm going to take help of some slides and illustrate my points. So basically, this is the conflict map of India. As you can see, I've marked out three zones. The one which is in green is Kashmir, which is in the international media spotlight as well as in the Indian media spotlight. The one in red is what is known as the Maoist conflict area or the Red Corridor. And it's very much in the Indian media spotlight. The one which is in the northeastern corner, the one in pink, is a region of sustained and active conflict for the last 60 years. And it has not particularly been either in the international media spotlight, see, except a few reports. Mike Woolrich probably reported on the Naga conflict once, I remember. And, and also particularly not talked about in the Indian media. I have been reporting from this region for the last five years. And I will try and give you an idea about this entire region, the conflict in this region, and why it's not really reported. I'll try and take examples and illustrate with the level of depth and engagement the Indian media sort of, or the time the Indian media gives to, say, a conflict like Kashmir, and why it doesn't give sort of enough attention to this region. As you can see, it's a frontier zone, and there, it, 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 the 98% of this region has its uh, boundaries with uh, international uh, borders with uh, China, Burma, uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan. So which is essential to our understanding of this region because uh, these are porous borders and there is a lot of free movement of people from uh, this, these states to these other countries. And uh, also there are uh, training camps which have been suspected and confirmed in a lot of these neighboring countries. So that's a key to our understanding of the conflict that has sort of uh, been there in this region for the last 60 years. It's a rarely reported conflict. And uh, there are eight states which make up northeastern India. And uh, there are about 110 militant outfits in this region, out of which about 30 would be active. So we'll go to the next slide. So this is basically a close-up of the, all the states which uh, make up northeastern India. And as you can see, that Arunachal Pradesh, which is right at the top, this red-colored state, it uh, shares a border with China. And there are about 100,000 Indian troops in this region, which is twice the amount of uh, troops the US had in Iraq, say, about uh, two years back. And you require restricted area permits to travel in this region. And the restricted area permit has been there for the last 138 years. It's a colonial legacy which we've been carrying. And uh, it's just been lifted this year on a temporary basis for states of Nagaland, Manipur, and Mizoram. Arunachal Pradesh, for the, to travel to a place like Arunachal Pradesh, you still require a restricted area permit. In fact, when uh, the Dalai Lama was visiting Tawang uh, last year, last last year, uh, a lot of foreign journalists were not allowed to travel to Arunachal Pradesh to report from this region. So it's kind of kept in a margin, this entire region, not just from the international media or sort of the international attention is sort of 
uh, not not there. I mean, even in India, it's sort of completely in the margin of margins. So, as I said, the suspected and confirmed training camps in China right now, it's, uh, Yunnan province serves as a key area in which the militant groups from northeast they have access to Yunnan province, really in the Yunnan province. And the, some of the training camps have been suspected and confirmed. There are militant outfits like the United Liberation Front of Assam, the People's Liberation Army of Manipur. They have sort of, uh, in fact, a batch of about 80 militants trained here in 2009. And it's not just that all the time they have a permanent training camp, but definitely there are sort of training happening between militant groups in these regions. So that's China, then there's Burma. The Sagaing division in Burma and also Northern Burma are key areas where the militant outfits uh, from this region, they find uh, training and they uh, sort of find refuge. Then the third country is Bangladesh. The Chittagong hill tracks have been used by most of these militant outfits for their training. Um, after a change of government in Bangladesh with Sheikh Hasina uh, coming into power, uh, there's been a lot of crackdown on these militant outfits, but even now, Chittagong Hill Tracks is kind of out of bounds for journalists, and uh, it's still an area which is uh, giving, uh, uh, which has a lot of these training camps, and at the same time, the Director General of Intelligence Forces, which is the equivalent of the Inter-Services Intelligence of uh, Pakistan, they provide a lot of training to and, and support to a lot of these militant outfits which uh, operate in Northeast India. So this conflict which I'm talking about, how many people have been killed in this conflict? Because we keep talking about Kashmir or we are talking about, say, the Maoist conflict, so if we are sort of ignoring this conflict, what has been uh, the, the, how many people have been killed and what has, what's been the effect of this conflict? So there are 110 militant outfits in Northeast, as I said. The demands range from secession to regional autonomy. And there have been close to 1,000 deaths per year from 1960 till 2011. So it's been 1,000 per year. It's also gone up at times. So it's, it's kind of uh, really sad that this place, we have been talking about peace journalism since morning, this place cannot in a sense also afford to even have the luxury of thinking peace journalism when at least even no journalism happens, happens from this region. I mean like there's hardly any reporting happening from this region. And uh, so that's, that's, that's this region. And so what does the Indian government do if you're talking about uh, if you're talking about hostile neighbors, if you're talking about this conflict which is taking place in this region, the Indian government uh, relies on military solution. As I gave an example of Arunachal Pradesh, where there are about 100,000 troops, and it's a peaceful state. It's, uh, it's got militant outfits here and there, but it's not that it's, uh, it's being bombed all the time. So it's low-intensity conflict, but low-intensity conflict that's leading to a death of a lot of civilians. A lot of people are getting killed. At the same time, it's not being reported. So people living there in these states, they've almost, in a sense, accepted uh, their way of life with conflict. So violence and conflict and their daily life, it's just part of life there. It's, 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 
it's it's uh, something which just it's uh, happens at an everyday pace so we're going to move over to the next slide which is basically the government relying on military solutions what does the government do so we have the armed forces special powers act which came up in 1958 and uh, basically this is a special army act which was uh, uh, which which the indian government uh, brought about to put an end to the so called naga insurgency the naga insurgency is one of the oldest conflicts in south asia and so what does it do it's introduced to stop insurgency it prohibits assembly of more than 5 people and uh, it gives sweeping powers to the army personnel so basically one can shoot on suspic suspicion there is no conviction from 58 till 2011 around the number of deaths that have taken place there's been no conviction and it's only military tribunal so someone who's sort of accused of killing someone else a civilian or even accused of rape they have just been suspended uh, to take an, a random example the state of manipur which is a state in northeastern india from 1992 till 2011 5647 deaths have taken place in this state and this state has been under uh, the armed forces special powers act uh, from 1980 so it's uh it's it's basically what this last point talks about it's pretty much leads to a suspension of uh, civil liberties so if you are staying in a state which is uh, technically not under curfew but you are leading a life which is pretty much under curfew because uh, you have uh, three different uh, uh, rings of security forces you have the indian army you have the paramilitary force and you have the police commandos in your state and all to preempt uh insurgencies and in in a state like manipur uh, example which i gave it has about 40 militant outfits but it's uh, out of which about 15 would be active and it's all to prevent insurgency but what is happening in relying for a military solution in not engaging with these groups the government is essentially sort of uh, cutting out or essentially ignoring the 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 civil population of uh, these regions so just to uh, give you an example of uh, what's been happening in the last say 5 years in kashmir which is uh, highly talked about and uh, not just india and how the media has been covering so i'm just going to give you some quick stats so not just india civilian deaths people of the indian army have been killed in counter insurgency operations kashmir civilian deaths people of the army have been killed and militants so i'm just trying to draw your attention to the number of civilians killed in northeast india in the last 5 years as you can see the number of civilians killed in northeast india is more than than what has happened in kashmir it's really strange that we have to do this comparative analysis it's almost pretty much like that northeast india has to have more violence and have to kill more people to get the attention of the world which is not exactly the case but it's it's, it's uh, if you're talking about hard facts this is what's been happening in the uh, in this region in the last 5 years so 1772 civilians killed as opposed to kashmir 1193 what does the indian media do so media coverage have picked up randomly uh, may june and july in 2009 it's a period when there were about 70 deaths in northeast and there were about 18 in kashmir and look at the engagement of the indian media with the two regions so if you take a look say at indian express which is uh, a newspaper of uh, prominence is based out of new delhi and then hindu which is supposed to be india's national newspaper 
the Times of India, everyone talks about it. Then there's a new newspaper called Daily News and Analysis, and the Telegraph, which, is, uh, which comes out of uh, Eastern India. So just the blue, uh, you, can, it, you can just see it for yourself, I mean, the graph. And there's been an editorial which came out in Telegraph, a newspaper which comes out of Eastern India, which is much more closer to Northeastern India. And that editorial was again on Kashmir, not on Northeast. <laughs> so it's like a media black hole. So we were talking about uh, social media, we were talking about uh, citizen journalism, we were also talking about uh, internet connections, but thing is that in this region it's really low internet penetration and really, really poor phone network. So you cannot even conceive the idea of uh, doing citizen journalism through internet. So that's pretty much a no-no at least now. And infrastructure-wise, electricity, Electricity, if you travel in some of these regions, say in a region called Lukrul, which is in Manipur, a state in northeastern India, you have electricity supply for only three hours a day and sometimes two hours a day. So the phone you were talking about in your previous presentation, when you were showing that phone which has torch, it surely works in this region. It's, it's uh, railways, only two states have uh, railway tracks in this region. It's, 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 it's a really, sort of hostile terrain. It's, it's very difficult to travel in this region. It's also, in a sense, if you sort of look through the logic of commercial television, or if you look through the logic of uh, commerce, it's just not feasible to travel so much, spend so much time and money for just one report. So that's one reason also that often probably mainstream media organizations do not spend so much time in this region and engage with this region as much they would say with Kashmir, but that's just a reason. Almost zero community media, new media networks. The Indian government, they have about 100 community media centers and they plan to push it up to around 4,000 in the Northeast, which has eight states and about 40 to 45 million people. You have only uh, two community media, two community radio centers in the state of Assam. Uh, in uh, the city of Guwahati. And uh, there are a lot of community media applications which are lying with the Indian government, but it's, uh, it's, it, it doesn't, the government doesn't seem to be in a mood to sort of uh, give permission. So the thing is also, other than all these things about low connectivity and poor infrastructure and uh, the mainstream media not engaging, there's also a history to this in the sense which is known as the mainland northeast divide in as much as uh, say a policy of uh, restricted area permit which was introduced uh, say 130 years back which was introduced in a sense to give more protection to the tribes of this region so that uh, people from outside say do not mess up with their lifestyle but that in effect i think boomerang because uh, uh, it's sort of this this has turned into in a sense india's savage frontier and uh, so you do enough tourism with this region. I mean, like there's uh, enough, uh, the incredible India campaign. It talks about Northeast as really uh, wonderful and you have all this trekking and all kinds of things happening. But, but beyond that, beyond the facade of tourism, what happens is the, the conflict which has been dragging on, it really takes a backseat. And there's this sort of dangerous trap of, uh, uh, which is very evident in the media also these days, that let's talk about happier things, let's talk about positive developments, which is nice, but the thing is that what happens 
it's that you're ignoring a conflict which is which has sustained itself for the last 60 years and it's also active so do you not report on this active conflict and just talk about uh, say happier things and uh, so this this mainland northeast divide also works out in various ways for people who are traveling from say this region in northeast india to other indian centers like say delhi or bombay or bangalore and uh, they face various kinds of uh, discrimination and uh, uh, from people of the mainland, so uh, which 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 uh, which essentially puts this region in a box, and uh, it's pretty much like a watertight compartment. And uh, the, uh, people also keep talking about like the president of the Editors Guild of India a few years back said that uh, it's the tyranny of distance that actually sort of puts this region in a corner, and people don't talk about it. So which I think it's uh, to put it like. Which I think is not just lazy journalism; it's also really responsible journalism to talk about this region like that, not to cover not to cover a region like this. So, what does the media notice too? There have been reporters; 25 reporters have been killed in the last 22 years from this region, and uh, these are mostly reporters from regional newspapers. These are reporters uh, are reporting f uh, who are freelance reporters also, stringers also. And mostly they have been killed uh, by militant outfits. And there are some examples where reporters have been killed because of, of uh, there have been some, some there is some sort of uh, people talk about the government being involved in some murders of some journalists. But that's, that's the, some cases are still in court. The, essentially the thing is that what do we make out of this, that 25 reporters have been killed in the last 22 years is uh, the reporters are in a sense caught between two extremes. So either you toe the line dictated by the militants or you report from government handouts. So what essentially is happening is that whatever reporting is happening from the region, even in the regional media, that reporting sort of, uh, you're not really in a sense, you're getting the true picture or you're not getting impartial reports coming out of this region. This really doesn't happen in a place like Kashmir because in Kashmir what happens is there is a lot of international media attention. And so, the, so when you compare this region with Kashmir, that's the essential difference. And because of the more international media attention which Kashmir gets, the regional reporting uh, is more developed in Kashmir than say in Northeast. Private news radio is illegal in India. So thing is that if you're talking about uh, what we're talking about, say community radio, or if you're talking about private news radio, uh, you cannot use radio to give out news. So what essentially happens is, uh, what do people get to see and hear in Northeast India when it comes to reporting? Say state television, there are 132 transmitters with 12 program production centers, as is evident from this slide. So you just get to see what the state thinks should be reported. And uh, with the mainstream media not really engaging with this region, when you get to see what the state thinks should be reported, so it's pretty much the state wins hand down, hands down. The thing is that it's not the job of the reporter either to defend governments or to defend militant outfits, but thing is that when you are not really getting an outlet of sort of sending out images or sending out text, even if it's coming in a three days late or four days late, thing is that the entire truth sort of uh, gets sidelined. So there are 17 private TV stations which have come up recently in this entire region. Now these private TV stations, what they're doing, that you would think that when a private TV station 
comes up in a northeastern state, then it would engage more with the region. But these private TV stations, what they're doing is that they are essentially replicating the mainstream media television station model, which is that uh, you appoint stringers and you just focus on one state and when you think that it's, 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 it's more important, you pick up those reports from stringers. So essentially, within a margin, say Northeast India and India, in, in, within Northeast, again, you're creating further margins. So you're pushing sort of some places on the TV map, in regional TV map, but, they're pushing, but you're pushing away more places uh, in, 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 that entire, in, in that entire region. So private TV stations, they are good in a sense, like they are reporting about the sort of events or conflict or uh, politics in that region, but not essentially engaging with, again, the level of depth and engagement which should be there to bring out uh, what's been happening in this region for the last, say, 60 years or so. 40 state radio stations, and there are 80 regional newspapers. These are just quick stats to give you an idea about uh, the media in this region. So what essentially can be done, uh, so is, that's why this uh, talk about collaboration. Other than having freelance journalists or stringers and taking their help to uh, bring out reports, an ideal platform could be CJNet or CJNet Swara, which essentially means the voice of Chhattisgarh. It's the world's first mobile phone-based radio news network in Chhattisgarh. It's the Maoist violence belt. And CJNet Swara, what they have done is because private news radio is banned in India, they have essentially created a platform in which if you have a mobile phone, then you call a certain, dial a certain number, that your voice message gets recorded and then it's edited and it's put out as a message. So essentially in the guise of send, putting up a message, you are reporting what's happening. So in the Maoist violence belt, say even in March this year, about 300 houses were burnt and uh, so that uh, the, the, in, in counterinsurgency operations. About 18 people were killed in counterinsurgency operations. So those reports uh, came out through this website. So, so it, it essentially acts as a bridge between uh, sort of uh, what's, what's, what's uh, not reported and what could be reported in the mainstream media. So it, it could be a platform which sort of uh, uh, brings the margin and uh, up on the mainstream media map. So mainstream margin media networks is also what essentially I'm talking about. So what is not reported? Violence, deaths and extortion. Something like this, the Kuki struggle which took place, uh, the Kuki massacre which took place in 1996, uh, essentially between two, two different groups. And as you can see, 360 villages are uprooted and about 900 people were killed. But it only came out in some regional newspapers, in only one national magazine, and only once on television. Or something like this, the rape and murder of this woman who was picked up from a house in 2004 by security personnel, paramilitary forces, and, uh, and, and, and then she was raped, allegedly raped and murdered. And, uh, the, 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 and there's been no conviction of this so far. What led to this was, uh, disrobing by women in front of uh, the army headquarters in Manipur. And this suddenly caught the imagination of India. And uh, sort of people started talking about this report. This, these images, the, the, this photograph was sort of there, played out ad nauseum. 
And, uh, but unfortunate thing is that it was, it's pretty much like a dip in and out syndrome which takes place when the mainstream media is engaging with this region. In the sense, I report from, I've been reporting from this region for the last five years, and it's always, it's, it's a constant fight to push for reports from this region. And uh, for me, I mean, I've, if I'm sending out a report like this, suddenly I see this uh, sort of engagement with the region. But when essentially you should follow up with stories, what's happening, it just doesn't happen. Mm, or say something like this, the Assam blasts, which took place a month before the Mumbai blasts. There were nine serial blasts that killed about 100 people. And the mainstream media's engagement with these blasts was only for two weeks. And we know the amount of time we sort of, uh, we sort of give to, say, the Bombay blast, or when we talk about it, it's not, again, essentially this blast versus that blast. But thing is that it's, it's really sad for the kind of journalism uh, we sort of profess to do, but we cannot. Then again, when we are talking about freelance journalists or stringers, this is one example. I'm, I'm going to end with this is how freelance journalists risk their lives and sort of send photographs. So this photograph of this uh, person who's uh, circled in red, who's been dragged inside a pharmacy in the state of uh, Manipur by commandos. And uh, so this photograph was taken by a freelance journalist. He sent out these photographs to us, CNN and IBN, and to another uh, magazine called Tehelka. So this guy essentially has been dragged inside a pharmacy and this is the second photograph, and he's been shot dead inside the pharmacy, and his body's been thrown onto this truck. Also in the truck, as is written in here, there was a seven-month pregnant woman who was also shot. Now, thing is, what happens is, because we rely on military solution, we keep talking about military solution, the media looks the other way, the media doesn't engage with this. What happens is that uh, the army thinks that often for sort of gallantry awards, uh, it can just pick up people and shoot them. This guy who was shot, he was with an underground outfit called the People's Liberation Army. And he came out of that uh, uh, People's Liberation Army and he was living a normal life. But thing is that uh, this is what happened. It's, it's, it's a fake encounter. There's a long list of fake encounters, extrajudicial encounters that take place in this region. And uh, 96 cases out of 50 are from Manipur, 32 from Kashmir. So I would like to end with this really sad image. But thing is that essentially that it's the entire conflict, which is low intensity in a sense, but leading surprisingly to sort of a thousand deaths per year. It's really sad that we're talking about peace and conflict journalism. But I mean, there is no journalism happening from this region in the sense like whatever is happening is not coming out in the international media. It's in a sense getting erased. So that's, it's, it's, it's something we should think about. Thank you.